1: Hello and welcome to the Irish Examiner Football Show. I'm Larry Ryan. With me we have Rob McNamara and Peter McNamara of the Irish Examiner. Um, On the show today we have Ian Whittle who was at uh, the Etihad on Saturday and he was at Goodison yesterday. We'll also have Liam Mackey, the Irish Examiner football correspondent. And we will have Dermot Corrigan who was at the Classico on Saturday. But we'll kick off with Ian Whittle. Ian, one of the stories that came out of Saturdays was Costa's redemption again. He seems to be a a reformed character. Is it as evidence when you're at the ground? Is he behaving himself off the ball as much as he seems to be?
0: Yeah, it's really uh, one of the big stories of the storylines of the season so far, I think. Um, I was at the Spurs game the week before, Chelsea Spurs, and on both occasions, he's still playing as well as he ever has been in this country, in my opinion. But he appears to, for whatever reason, appears to have cut out a lot of the extracurricular, a lot of the off-the-ball stuff, as you say. And you were even treated to, and it was surreal, the surreal sight at the end of the game on Saturday at the Etihad went that scuffle broke out, became a major scuffle on the touchline. You were even treated to the sight of Diego Costa acting as a peacemaker, <laughs> diving in there, dragging people off, and you know, <laughs> showing incredible cool and composure, which a lot of the other staff and certainly a lot of the other players didn't do. So yeah, yeah. whether it's a psychological thing, you know, maybe that's Conte's biggest contribution in, in what's been a great season for Chelsea so far. Maybe that's his biggest achievement, is getting Costa to concentrate on football rather than all the extracurricular stuff that goes with it.
1: Yeah, what can, what can we put it down to? Is there any... Re- I know um, our, ter- our Chelsea terrorist talk, Trizia, said today that he's got a dog lately, Costa, or something. Does that seem to have improved his mood or something at all? Maybe that's the answer.
0: We all need to go out and buy dogs. Mm. You know, it would improve our, our general well-being. Um, You know what, there's a lot to be said, and I'm sure you'll want to talk about it at some stage, but you compare Mm. him with Aguero, um, and Aguero's still doing incredibly well on the field in terms of his goal production, but he does not look a happy man. That's his second spending off this season for a very nasty sort of off-the-ball incident. Um, And, you know, Aguero seems to have gone the other way. Aguero seems just to be unhappy, he's frustrated. Um, so maybe a lot of it's to do with peace of mind, you know, just enjoying yourself. We all know what it's like in our jobs. If you're, if you're happy at work, you know, life just takes on a much better, a much better bearing. And maybe it, there's a lot to do with that. You like something, maybe you didn't like Mourinho and other managers played for. Um, you know, maybe Conti's found the secret psychologically uh, to unlocking the best out of him.
1: Yeah, we might as well skip on to the Aguero question there. I mean, that was a, it was an outrageous tackle. Um, and he has previous with, with David Luiz is, is there anything between those two players in particular or is it just uh, I mean he did seem to have a look at, he, he knew who he was tackling there um, before yeah. he jumped no, out I,
0: I think you're spot on there I, I think there is previous there There was horrendous in fact I thought it was worse than the one on Saturday there was that incident I think it was 2013 yeah. I think semi yeah. with Chelsea and he sort of stamped on him two footed from behind I thought, I thought that one actually was even worse even though he got away with that one um, so clearly there is and it, you know it happens we all know that in any. Sport, you, you get these sort of rivalries these man-to-man confrontations clearly there's a bit of history whether it's a Brazil-Argentina thing I don't know yeah. uh, but clearly that is a personal issue now and of course don't forget in the first half there was that incident where Luis probably it was a borderline decision but Luis did seem to uh, obstructive where as he was going to own un- goal which was the start of the sort of unraveling of City's composure uh, because of the referee you know they, they were they were aggrieved by that non-decision um, so you know, Luis and Aguero were at it from very early on in that game. But still, you know, there's no excuse for the way Aguero launched himself at Luis at the end there. That's
2: the sort of tackle that breaks legs and you know ends yeah. careers. Ian Peter here, just just talking a second about David Luis because a lot of people were questioning why he was coming back to Stamford Bridge having left uh, previously. And you know, people were kind of saying, "Is this going to work out?" Because there were question marks against his name in terms of his quality. But in fairness it's hard to argue with the way he's playing at the moment absolutely and and you know he's one of a number of players in
0: that Chelsea team obviously who benefited from that switch to three at the back you know um, mm. I didn't see enough of Chelsea when they were playing four at the back at the start of the season in fact I don't think I saw them live at all but I've seen them three times since he switched three of those eight games that he's won since he switched to three at the back and you do wonder whether Luis is maybe better suited to that system or whether he's benefiting from Chelsea playing so darn well altogether but there's no doubt again you know if I'm saying Cost is one of the big great storylines of the season one of the big success stories so far then Louise can't be far behind it because it was almost sort of a, a social media joke wasn't it when it came back on mm-hmm. all the tweets that, you know all, all the tweets out there and a lot of people suggesting it was uh, it was, was fraught
1: with danger but so far so good no doubt about it on, on the city side in um, we saw I mean I think you, you made references in your own report um the mask seemed to slip a little bit for Pep on the sideline during the game yeah. he was um, having a popular referee quite a bit and then he had that kind of that bout of sarcastic applause when they finally got a decision it's a bit soon for that to be happening isn't it I mean he it happened once or twice at Bayern when things got frustrated I remember he had a go at his medical staff at one state yeah. um, mm-hmm. but it is a bit early isn't it to be seeing that kind of thing from him
0: I think yeah, we're three months in and he's still only four points. Well, mm. before Saturday, he was even closer, but now he's still only four points off the top of the Premier League. For, for, that, for the mask, if it is a mask, to be slipping, it is very early. He's clearly frustrated. Um, I suspect, uh, I think, I, again, I said it in the report, I suspect he, he it's a bigger job than he thought it was when he took over. I think yeah. there's more glaring weaknesses than he thought were there, um, especially defensively. And he's not doing a great job, You have to say, he's not doing a great job of containing that at the minute. We've got this breed of managers, and and Conte, make no mistake, Conte is one of them, but we do have this breed of managers now who spend the whole 90 minutes in, or usually just outside the technical area, jumping up and down, uh, you know, like jack-in-the-boxes. And um, Guardiola is certainly one of those. He's he's very hyper. All his actions are exaggerated. The crowd feed off that in the good times, but there's no doubt. There's a real sort of feeling of an air of animosity, mostly towards the referee who made some very questionable decisions, he has to say, um, and, and Guardiola sort of said that, and I think sort of a lot of the trouble that, that erupted at the end, a lot of that was down to Guardiola's lack of composure, as you said Bella. Like, you know, it was quite disgraceful, the that, that, that thick applause and sticking his thumbs up and winding his arms around and getting the crowd involved. In the direction of the referee. And in my view, as you was saying in the press box, Mourinho got a, a one game for kicking a water yeah. bottle, in my mind's eye, what got in with it was
1: worse than that. I think that's fair, yeah. I think we would be giving Mourinho a lot of stick if he had done that um, uh-huh. on the touchline We might as well move on to Mourinho then on to, on to yesterday's action. Um it, it went wrong for them again, another draw for them. Um, in fairness, Richard Kurt pointed out, I think it was a it was a stat going around that um, that they're creating fifty percent more goal scoring chances than they were under um, LBG like, is it, are they unlucky are they playing better than the, the results Is there, or what's wrong is there a bit of a soft centre there that's unlike Mourinho to be, let, to be allowing to happen
0: yeah it's a, it's a great question it's obviously at the core of, of their season so far I, I'm, I'm very sympathetic because I've seen a lot of those draws and they have played very well for long long periods but surely and again this applies to any sport surely there comes a point where you have to say It's not just bad luck. It's not just uh, one little thing that's not quite firing. You can say that for one draw, two draws, maybe even three draws. But Mourinho's saying this every week now. He's saying, we played brilliantly. Yeah and we didn't get our oh, just deserves it's just bad luck, it will come, and it's not coming. Um, I have a degree, of sympathy with him yesterday, he was, he, was, he was quite, well, he was very defensive yesterday, and one of the points he made, which I had a degree, of sympathy with, with was, look, you all criticised me at Chelsea for, for being pragmatic and playing a sort of boring style and winning trophies and winning games, yeah. now we're, you know, and the subtext was, now United are a lot more insane than you possibly ever were, but you, now you're giving me a lot of spit for not getting the results. You know you can't have it both ways, and I have a degree of sympathy with that. But when you're the manager of Manchester United uh, and you're making sort of bold predictions at the start of the season like he did, I think you're looking for more. And to speak to earlier point, yes, I think there you know there, there are fundamental problems there, and it's going to take him beyond the season to sort them out.
3: Ian, um, uh, Rob here. Um he brought on Marwan Fellaini to defend the lead in the last few minutes of the game when he had um, Eric Boye on the bench. Um, people on social media seem to be a bit divided as to whether it was Fellaini who let the team down or whether it was a bad decision on Mourinho's part to bring him on. A player who's who's not who, who kind of runs into trouble from time to time and is not really kind of a... Uh, you know, a central defender or holding midfielder. He, when he was at Everton, he was more of kind of a played played off the striker. So, I mean, what was Mourinho thinking there to, to to bring him on a player who who seems to be quite calamitous at times? Mm-hmm.
0: It's a great point, and, and you know, again, Marino didn't take kindly to being asked about that last night after the game. <laughs> I can only assume, yeah. to play devil's advocate, I can only assume uh, Eric B he is still not matched fit, and, and he didn't want to throw him into that sort of situation late in the game when he's been out for a while with an injury. Um, but you're quite right about Fellaini. I mean, Fellaini, you could make the argument that Fellaini's most effective position is coming off the bench, playing centre-forward when you're chasing a game, and you, you certainly don't want him around a penalty area where bodies are flying around. And it's likely i would be there to stick out foot and trip someone up it was you know again the question is at what point do you blame the manager for making the decision to bring him on or do you blame blame a player who for all his limitations is an experienced international footballer who you would expect not to leave his foot
4: out like that and trip up an opposition player in the last minute of the game Uh, Ian just just a
2: thought as well on the Zlatan Ibrimovic incident with Seamus Mm. Coleman obviously people in this country would be very interested to to hear your thoughts and what happened there and was Coleman hard, was, he, was he harshly done by by that time?
0: yeah I think so I think we all said at the time there's no doubt in the first half that challenge by Rafa was a red card in any in by any estimation That he only got a yellow we thought um, and we were watching it repeatedly on television replay as you guys know the, the, the television monitors in the press box and we were watching it repeatedly on replay it does look very light Ibrahimovic did that deliberately. Now, he's, not, he's kind of not got that reputation particularly, um, so perhaps he got the benefit of the doubt. But I, I think Sheamus had every right to be angered by that. It was, it was fairly, it was fairly cynical and fairly blatant. It's an experienced veteran striker's right move, I guess. You know, leave your foot there, make it look as though an accidental, and you're just in the process of getting up from the ground. But I, I don't think there's any doubt it was deliberate. it could easily have gone and I think Sheamus had every right to feel aggrieved.
2: It's funny, like we started talking there a while ago and we seem to be talking about incidents involving cars and referees since the start, of the start of the podcast there. Is that indicative of the fact that the Premier League, in terms of quality, is it slightly overrated in the sense that we get so wrapped up in all the controversial decisions and all that kind of jazz that we haven't even talked about the quality of the games? That's, you know
0: what a fantastic point that is. That is a great point. You know what, Ronald Koeman actually made that point, kind of made that point last night, we were asking about the Rojo Red card, we were asking about the penalty decision, and Koeman said, look, every game now, we're talking, is it a red, is it a yellow, is, is it a penalty, is it not a penalty, is it free? And and Koeman actually said, look, let's cut away from all that and say, it's a pretty good game, 1-1's a fair result. And I think managers are, are, are well aware of this. Of course, it's a result, and we've had this phenomenon for a number of years in the Premier League now, it's a result of the intense, which we're all part of, you know, the intense coverage of the sport and camera angles from every, every conceivable view of incidents means we're analysing them over and over again. But you're right, again, the sky monster feeds into this in this country. A lot of these incidents are concealing the fact that, you know, we don't question often enough how good is the Premier League? We only seem question it when the England national team does badly, mm. or, or as may well be the case this season, we do so in the Champions League. Then all of a sudden we say, hang on a minute, maybe the Premier League is not the great product we think it is. And, and quite often we're never going to get away from that because you know Sky Sports and BBC and ITV or whoever make sure we we still want to talk about these incidents by showing them repeatedly. But you're right. I think there comes a point where. It could do us all a lot of credit, not least of all the Premier League and the England national team, to step back and say, you know what, just how good is the Premier League that we're watching? Because mm. whilst there's some fantastic things and some fantastic football on occasion, there's also some fairly average football being served, I think.
1: Yeah, Ian. Cool. true. Brilliant. Ian, that's great. we we'll let you go. Thanks a million for that. No problem. Anytime.
0: Cheers. Take care, guys. Cheers. Thanks, all
1: Ian. All of us. Bye.
0: Bye. Bye.
1: I That's get the interest. I get the I get the impression you're not quite buying that about Costa the the um, well, I, I the peacemaker at the, the end, Johnson, but he, he, he just I'm telling you he was like Usain Bolt trying to try and get involved,
2: whether whether it's a case that you know that uh, that he actually was trying to to be a peacemaker according to Ian he was. I just felt that when I saw him run the first, he was, it was just a standout performer in terms of a sprint. Like you know, there was a lot of people moving from the dugout but. He made a concerted effort to get there first, kind of thing. Look, you know, he had a better view than me, certainly. I suppose the camera angles, and, you know, I wasn't at the head yet. Ian yeah. was, so yeah. I bow to his superior vision um vision there on that one.
1: There's a fair point, but I think we, we, we probably are talking about the old controversy a bit too much, maybe. But, yeah, um, but... It, we'll so probably just carry on doing it anyway, Rob. You, you're not <laughs> um, convinced that Zlatan uh, um, meant that one, then? Coleman. No, I don't think he did. Um, I I think I think Coleman had had won the ball. He
3: was moving forward. He was moving away from Ibrahimovic. He moved uh, for for whatever reason. He turned back um, and collided with Ibrahimovic. I don't think um, Zlatan could have done anything about it. Um, and I think it's just basically the way his leg came down. Um, hit Coleman hit Coleman's head, and it's just one of those things. And we tend to be cynical about these things, especially with a player um uh, like Zlatan, um, you know, his personality and, and the way he is and stuff. Um it can be easy to blame a guy for something like that. But I think it's it is just one of those things. It was a collision and the way it happened was unfortunate. Yeah, he might be titled the benefit of the doubt on this, one, I suppose.
2: But to be fair, he's not exactly. He, to be fair to Zlatan, he's not a guy you would say every second week that there's something happening with, so you would give him the benefit of the doubt in that sense, you know. He's not no, he's
3: not, yeah, a, he's he's not, not a, really a troublemaker theory. in fairness. Like.
1: All right, now we have uh, our manager, soccer correspondent Liam Mackey on the line. Liam, Liverpool came unstuck yesterday. What do you think? Uh, yeah, they came unstuck. I, I, I was first to say about it is it, it was
5: just a, a fantastic game. It was, it was the whole setting in that stadium. It's quite intimate. The winter sun, uh, the opposition. Liverpool going in as top favourites, and it. It had that sort of FA Cup third round uh, sort of feel to yeah, it, yeah. which is sort of how it played out. It was it was just it was like a cup giant killing sort of game. Um and and you know, it, the the dominant reaction has to been to, to Liverpool's frailties in terms of being in, in a marving position and throwing it away and, and we get to that and that's that's true. But I'd have to say you gotta give Bournemouth an awful lot of credit and you gotta give uh, their manager a lot of credit, they, they've got tremendous character in that team, and, and to keep it going uh, right to the end, to get to get back to 3-3, three, three, to be two goals behind twice, and I think particularly the, the killer moment most of us would have thought will be after uh, Emre Chan's amazing goal, because 3-1, when you've gotten the goal back, you've reduced the deficit to one, and then you go two behind again, that's normally the death knell, that, that's normally when a game is put out of side for a team. But they kept going, and, and um, to get to 3-3 was an achievement, to make it in the way they did, uh, goalkeeper's mistake and all was sensational from their point of view. So absolutely full credit to Bournemouth. They're, they're refreshing to watch and a terrific attitude, a great kind of club mentality, and a really, really smart manager. But having said all that, I mean, Liverpool shot themselves in the foot, uh, threw themselves away, and I think... The defensive frailties, obviously, a lot of talk in advance about Coutinho, and he is going to be a big miss for them. I still but player to take out of the side without having a, a, a damaging effect. But they were doing fine without him. Marie had stepped up, uh, and in the end, just I think defensive frailties and maybe a kind of lack of leadership. And, and, you know, there is that thing with teams who go a long time without winning a, a title. I'm yeah. not sure. You can just overnight, even with someone as inspirational as Klopp, get back that mentality that that sees sees you being ruthless enough mm. to, to to take games uh, uh, to the finish when when you're in the commanding position, and when you throw in the, the problems they have, and Joe and Matt are missing as well, and they did they came unstuck. And, and the interesting thing now, as a test of character for Liverpool, will be to see how they react I and mean, can they bounce back and and given up. The next game is at home to West Ham. You'd have to say they probably will. But
3: uh, it, it was a sensational game, but 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 yeah, a real shocker for Liverpool. Liam, uh, Rob here. Um, just uh, like I mean, there always seems to be a, a scapegoat when these t- things happen, and it, it seems to be Lars um the, the the Liverpool goalkeeper, who's been been called out and blamed for the the defeat. Um, but there are big, bigger issues here, aren't they? I mean, Liverpool had, had Lovren and uh, Lucas Leva playing uh, centre-back, and I mean, you've James Milner playing at full-back. Uh, they're, they're quite frail, and I mean, you know, as good as they are going forward, um, you always feel that Liverpool are going to concede a goal, and you never quite feel that they're comfortable when they have the lead. Is, is that uh, abso- Absolutely, and <coughs> I
5: think that's what I said, with, with Joe and Matip missing, I think, I, I'm you know, not 100% convinced by Lovren anyway, but with Lovren and Matip there, they they look more solid. In fairness to Miller, he's he, you know, entirely a stealth gap, but he sort of settled in and made his own, made the position his own to some degree. Having said that, uh, he did give away a penalty uh, really cheaply, and, and you could look at that as, as, as a major uh, uh, factor in the game. I think the reason the keeper is getting all the flack is because it really was the winning goal. It was the one that turned a bad point into a really terrible defeat. And he should have held it. I mean, it was straightforward enough now. I heard Chris Kirkland on, on TV this morning talking about how those shots coming in with a bit of movement on them, low are actually far harder to save than most of us, i.e. the non-goalkeeping union thing. Yeah. But realistically, he saw it coming a long way. It was driven it was with a bit of power, and, and he spilled it. And, and that's why he's getting the slack. I don't think, um, you know... It, it's just people are particularly exposed when it comes to a situation like that, and I agree with you 100%. In fact, even in the goal, um, allowing for the fact that he should have held it, didn't hold it, it the defence were very, very slow to react. I mean, the Bournemouth strikers were on their toes. Uh, the central Liverpool defence were, were, were flat-footed. Nobody reacted to, to get back and try to sweep the ball away. And in the end, it was a, it was a pretty easy goal for Bournemouth to score. Yes. But you're right. I think the bigger issues around the back, and I think that's been the Liverpool issue for a while. They're flamboyant going forward, and their are pump. They're really good to watch. Um, they're very much in the image of of Klopp, uh, with with energy and intensity. And as I say, when Coutinho's been in the side as well, they've got that extra bit of flair. I, w- I would just say, further about Coutinho, I, th- I think he was like early enough in the season as it is kind of on target really to be player of the year and, and he's, he's doing it not just for Liverpool he's really come on as a player so recently Brazil against Argentina Brazil beating 3-0 yeah. Brazil are flying again because he was a big part of He scored a goal against Argentina mm-hmm. which was just a replica of the kind of goals we've seen him score and you must have patience for Liverpool cutting inside dropping the shoulder bending it inside far post I think he will still be a big big miss for them but at the back they're frail and it's something I think Klopp needs to get to grips with, however he can, because I don't think you're going to win the title on the basis that you just got to have a flamboyant attacking team that are very potent going forward. Precisely what happened at, at Bournemouth is, is the worry that your great attacking flair is undone by Frenzy's at the back. Um, and if Liverpool are to win us. Uh, and I know we're only coming up to Christmas I think one of the reasons is and this is in their favour and and the same could even apply to Arsenal I don't think there's one outstanding team in the Premier League I don't think there's a complete team in the Premier League there's a sense that all of the big guns for all that we thought Mourinho and Guardiola and Conte albeit Chelsea definitely are the strongest at the moment but we thought they'd all come in and reshape the Premier League and the big beasts would be would be bigger and stronger than they've ever been they all seem to me to be in a bit of a period of transition. And that gives encouragement to Liverpool and even to Arsenal that the deficiencies in the other big teams could be as much a factor in deciding the title as uh, one team emerges in the pack and becoming unsaleable. It doesn't really look like that's going to happen.
2: Liam, Peter Hare, In the supplement today in the examiner next to the report there's a stat that says this is the fourth time under Klopp that Liverpool have been two goals ahead in the Premier League game and failed to win 2-2 against Sunderland 2-3 against Southampton and 2-2 against Newcastle now when Klopp was in charge of Dortmund in the biggest games particularly against Bayern Munich that actually happened to more than one occasion in the biggest games even in cup matches I remember because I kind of followed Dortmund for a good bit having watched them in the Europa League a few years ago and the reason for that was he's a very fanboy and personality but it carries over into his game plans in the sense that when his teams are ahead he doesn't really go to shut down matches he goes to go again and sometimes that can cause problems it has been one little mark on his managerial career so far
5: yeah it's a good observation and, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier on I think Liverpool need to develop a kind of a ruthlessness and a sort of a game management hmm. uh, that allows you to if you know it's a shut up shop, but you just don't have to keep going long hole for it. Now I'm sure Klopp, Klopp you know, is trying to get that sorted out. He's, he's a smart guy. I don't think he's one of these people who just thinks we go out and play brilliantly and if he gets results great, if we don't you know, at least we play brilliantly, we've entertained the fans. I don't think he's a romantic in that sense. He is kind of a passionate guy and he clearly wants to see football played in a certain kind of way. Now one thing I'd say about him is there's all this stuff about heavy metal football and game and pressing and all of that. I mean, he's not reinventing the wheel. Uh, like That stuff has been around for a long time, since so maybe we haven't seen it from Liverpool where it played with the same energy and the same intensity. It's funny enough, I was reading um, a new biography, an autobiography of Jack Charlton recently, and, and Jack in his forward, and then he had a, a legitimate saying that he was making the claim that he invented the pressing game except
1: yeah, it's a fair the point. Yeah. Under pressure.
5: there's something mm. in that mm. if you want to find a former Liverpool player who knows a bit about playing heavy metal football ask, ask John Aldridge what it was like <clears> 20 games playing yeah. for Ireland where you had to chase down full backs yeah. and chase down centre halves Liverpool are really good at, at, at putting pressure on the opposition playing with a high energy and, and, and tempo and then they have the players when they're on the ball to move it fluently and to move it with pace and um, they were incredibly exciting to watch. I think absolutely Klopp needs to look at the other half, and I'm sure he has. But I just, I think injury is part of it, and I think maybe the team needs to develop just a little bit more leadership on the pitch in terms of calming things down, getting them to see out games, getting them to uh, dig in when they have to dig in, and just just be a little bit smarter and more savvy. And they, they weren't against Bournemouth, they left themselves wide open. And in fairness to Bournemouth, they are a team who will take advantage because there's a really good spirit about uh, them. As I said earlier, I think when you go to 3-1 down and they pulled one back, that's such a sickening blow for a side that, that Peter's got itself back into the game. That At that point, normally most, most teams just fold, fold up their tent and teach the battlefield. And Bournemouth didn't. And Liverpool are going to have to find a way if they're going to be champions of making themselves a more complete side there's no question In fair,
1: you, you talked about Liverpool's reaction, Liam, I think Klopp's reaction afterwards was probably pretty perfect, wasn't it? I mean, for, for such a sicker, he played it, he played it straight back, you know, he, he kind of kept the, uh, kept the mask on, congratulated the Bournemouth lads, and, you know, the, he didn't allow any kind of sense of this might be a crisis starting coming here, you know? He, um no, no,
5: and do you know what? It's, it's not a crisis. I mean, no, it's, no. It might even just be the awful cliche of a bad day at the office. Yeah, day. yeah. From the things we've been talking about there, though, I think they do point to underlying issues in that Liverpool team, which suggests that it is still a team in transition, that it's, it's a team which, if it suffers certain kind of injury setbacks, is going to have a difficulty coping with it and, and it particularly puts the focus on the back four and the keeper and keep, the keeper is an issue You know, if you don't have a goalie who's going to hold on to a reasonably straightforward like a shot like that in the last minute of the game it, it, it is a problem, look I know goalies it can happen, and, and look at Fraser Foster at the weekend. I mean, you know, just the most extraordinary blips can occur for goalkeepers. But it's got to be an issue if the defence isn't 100% solid and the goalie behind them isn't a token reassuring presence. Um, you kind of think of how often Czech has bailed out Arsenal, for example, a what a different teammates just as, as a contrast. So so they have issues. But Klopp is right. Look, you know, you get it out of your system, they've got more Ham next, and let the state that West Ham are in you could see that if Liverpool go about it the right way, you could you could see that being a hammering, and and then Liverpool will be absolutely immediately back on track. But behind all that, I still think they're short of being a complete side and short of being title winners this season. Unless, as I say, the deficiencies that are evident in virtually all the other teams, maybe Chelsea will now kick on and prove it, every exception. But there's real deficiencies in all the other big guns. It's, it's wide open. And uh, and there certainly is it's far from crisis, but it's something they've got to deal with if they're going to have realistic hopes of going on all the way through May and, and, and finally ending that title draft.
1: OK, before before we leave you there, did you see much of Arsenal at the weekend? Do you want to come in on that one, Peter? Did you? Yeah,
5: yeah. I, tra- I mean, look, I thought, I thought, um, I thought Alexis Sanchez's performance was, was just... Unbelievable. Um, funnily enough, uh, I saw Mary Darren Ra- Randolph, uh, our 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 Darren, had been oh, yeah. uh, in a team of the of the weekend, which on the face it sounds absolutely ludicrous when um, when when you think of uh, five being put uh, put past him. Actually, he did make an extraordinary double save in, in the game as well. Uh, but like Sanchez was unstoppable, and and. Again, with Arsenal, there's that thing when, when they're in their pomp, there's no better team to watch. Maybe City on their day in terms of the, the fluency of the play and, the, and, and the, the quick passing and the movement and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but so Arsenal's days come and go, and again, a bit like Liverpool. You're looking for that sort of consistency and the ability to grind things out. Now I know I thought they were awful against Man United and they did actually just dig one out at the end, which again has more to do with Man News problems and not seeing out matches and that than anything else at the moment. But when when they go up against a team in this way, um just someone like Sanchez can make hay and I thought he was fantastic. I thought that the third goal uh, was just magnificent. I mean there's step-overs
1: and there's step-overs <laughs> and there's feints and they're selling dummies. Yeah. But, I mean,
5: he did the full follow-through, back lift, follow-through with, with a ghost shot and put, uh, put Randolph on his backside and then clipped it in. And, and on a day like that, Arsenal are fantastic. And I think the fact that Sanchez is playing effectively now as the main striker makes a huge difference to them in terms of just having a clinical finish uh, and all the other things he brings he can drop deep he can turn he, he's just he's just a, fun, a, a really really big player for them I would worry about Arsenal if he got an injury uh, I'd be really worried about Arsenal being able to, to keep this up and it's funny with Arsenal most people look at them and, and I would too and think ok if Arsenal they're up there they're hanging on to Chelsea's hotels, how long? how long can they keep doing that and in a weird kind of way, it's almost like they're this year's Leicester. Uh, people are seeing them near the top of the table and waiting for them to fall. But, you know, good on them, good on Zenger. Uh, they're going well at the moment, but uh, we'll see, we see how they kick on from here. But if Sanchez can keep up the form, we showed the other day, they'll be really going to shout as well.
2: Liam, just, just a quick word on West Ham, because... Their fall from Grace has been quite startling, startling, hasn't it? I mean, they've conceded 12 goals in their last six matches alone. They've the second worst, defen- second worst defensive record overall in the Premier League. What do you think has gone wrong there?
0: I, you know,
5: it, I, I find it really hard to put my finger on any one thing yeah. with them because the collapse from last season and Billage coming in,
0: I really I really think he's a superb manager. I, I just thought he, he was going to do a great job for
5: them there this year. I think most of us would have thought. They were a team who could have maybe even gone one better than last season, Would certainly be up there as a slightly sort of dark horse team, potentially challenging for a top four or somewhere in the region. I mean, the move from the stadium has clearly been a problem, but Mm. I I, I can't quite work out overall in terms of tactically or in terms of what Bilic is trying to do, what it is that isn't happening. I mean, his press conference after the game yesterday I have to say, I know he's having crisis meetings t- today with the club owners. It almost sounded to me like he he couldn't work out what had gone wrong. And the way in which he spoke about the players lacking determination and intensity was, was almost as if he was kind of washing his hands of the situation. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how Funky's going to be sticking around, to be honest. But certainly part of the problem is that some of the key players for West Ham who were really... Really out last season, just for whatever reason, are not doing it this time. Um, almost, a, it's almost like a replica of, of of Chelsea, except we know there was a particular reasons last season on the Mourinho why it all all went pear shaped. But there's similar things that happen. Big like someone like Pires has not been himself. Mark Noble has been a really important player for West Ham. Substituted in the 72nd minute yesterday after just a completely ineffectual game. Um, there's there's a crisis of confidence in the team there's that awful thing that comes with uh, the losing habit and not being able to turn that around and uh, and and to add to all their problems yesterday they came up against Sanchez in in such irresistible form that he probably would have taken advantage against them um, against a far better team or a team in far better shape but yeah they're they in, in a serious serious situation and it's going to be a very difficult one for, for them to get out of. They need really urgently to get a win or two under their belt, at least a, a, on that basis to do something to stop the, the draining and confidence because that's palpable. You just look around that yeah. team and it just looks like the confidence is mm-hmm. drained out of them individually and collectively. And you look at Village and he seems to have lost his mother yeah. ago Shoulders mother. It's yeah. sort of a perfect storm yeah. uh, for West Ham in terms of everything part of that could go wrong seems to be going wrong.
1: Perfect, Liam. Grace, listen, we'll let you go on that. Um, talk to you next week.
3: Indeed. Thanks, Liam. Thanks, Liam. Thanks,
1: Liam. Now we have Dermot Corgan on the line, who was in uh, our Madrid-based Dermot, who was in at the Clasico on Saturday. Dermot, um, Madrid posed for all the uh, the pitchers and their jocks afterwards uh, as if it was a win. I presume that's how it's been played out there? Yeah, hi,
6: Lance. How's it going? Yeah, Madrid were very happy with how it went at the weekend. You know, they, they, they played pretty well in the first half. You know maybe they were on top in the first half. And might have had a penalty. Then Suarez scored after halftime, and for a while it was like Barca were going to go away and, and win it pretty easily. You know Messi had a, a really good chance, and Neymar had a really good chance as well. And then right at the end, of Costa Ramos says, you know he's done a lot of times in the past for Madrid with you know dramatic hero uh, kind of uh, kind of things to remember with a yeah. late header and got the draw. So it, it felt like a win to them. Keeps them six points clear at the top of the table. Um, it's another blow for Barça, who we are kind of teetering at the minute. You get the feeling that the mood there is, is not great at Barça. So outside the camp now, afterwards, the, the very few Madrid fans who were there were, were delighted with themselves, and the, the lots of Barça fans were going away pretty
1: disappointed. No, I don't know about the lads. I was watching it on a tiny, a tiny screen, courtesy of Bet365. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so it didn't look that, that great a game to me. Um, what, what did you make of it?
6: No, it was pretty poor. Uh, all right. Um, Yeah, I think I remember tweeting that during the first half it was the worst classical ever. It it was maybe wasn't that bad, but we're used to in in the classicals, I think in recent years, you know, some some great goals or really good play or or, like Ronaldo or Messi or somebody doing something special, and there was very little of that. And Modric had a really good game for Madrid when he was playing really deep in midfield. Iniesta did well when he came on for a while in the second half, but generally speaking, the quality wasn't. Wasn't really what you expect from you know they get building as the biggest game in the world and, and talk about you know half a billion people going to watch it and and that type of thing. It definitely didn't live up to any of that
3: type of hype. Uh Dermot Rob here. Um, I see in your report there you say Cristiano Ronaldo had a quite game on Saturday. Um, you could pretty much say that for a lot of games this season, couldn't you?
6: Yeah, he's you know he's he's not the player he was. You know, three or four years ago when he used to, to beat three or four players from the halfway line and get the top corner from twenty five yards, he doesn't really do that anymore. Time is catching up with him a bit. He's thirty-two next next February, I think it is, or early next year, and he's had a good few injuries, especially with his, his knees. So he's not the explosive type of player that he was. He still you can still take a chance, you know, he's he's still top scorer in the liga this season and if you if you set up chances for him, then he'll you'll take a good percentage of them. He had a couple of half chances on on Saturday. He didn't. Wasn't very involved in the game. You know, wasn't wasn't the Ronaldo. Wasn't the performance of somebody who you're thinking, oh, this guy's going to win the ball on door You know, you aren't looking at it going, this is the the best player in the world at the moment. But you know, he's he scored a few goals some recently. He scored a hat trick in the, the derby against Atletico when he got the chances. So it, it depends a lot on whether the team play well and the team didn't really play well enough for him to to capitalise on, on the weekend.
2: There was just uh, Peter Herr just asking for a second about Luis Suarez and the impact he has had at Camp Nou. I suppose I've seen him live twice. I'm a Spurs fan, unfortunately, and I've seen him playing at both Anfield and the Wayheart Lane a couple of seasons back. And I just, I honestly thought he. I've been to a couple of major matches. I honestly thought he's the best player I've ever seen live. Um how far off is he between between from Messi and Ronaldo in terms of stature at the present moment? Because in my opinion, he is just an absolute fire and has been for the last 12, 18 months.
6: Yeah, he's a great player, and you know, he, he, the last couple of weeks he hasn't been playing brilliantly, but he got the goal at, at the weekend. I think that the thing with Suarez is that he doesn't have the the machines behind him that that Messi and Ronaldo have. Like it, especially in the media here, you kind of have to, to to be here to realise it. But every day, you know, on the, the news, there's something about Ronaldo or in Barcelona, there's something about Messi, and they have kind of a, a machine behind them. I don't know how much of it is that Messi himself is actually thinking about or not himself thinking about but they have these huge publicity machines, and Barcelona and Madrid push them as their as their big players so for anybody else to come in it's difficult you know and Suarez coming from Uruguay and coming from the the Premier League as well he's always going to play second fiddle I think he gets on well like inside inside the team he's really respected and he gets on well with Messi because Messi can sometimes be difficult guy to stick it on with, I guess, or a for teammates to click with. They never had that kind of problem. But no matter what Torres does, no matter how many goals he scores, he was top scorer last year in in La Liga. And um, the chances of him winning like the, the Ballon d'Or or something like that are still pretty slim.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Dermot, uh, it seems to be all kind of coming up roses for Zidane, um, the novice coach, I suppose, but. Yeah. Um I said you talked afterwards about Madrid's kind of resilience and digging in etc like but Madrid isn't really about digging in all the same is it I mean it's kind of is there any kind of sense that they're not playing the football that that uh, the fans would like or would they be happy enough just to take a title at Barcelona's expense and worry about that a bit later
4: yeah, I think
6: because it's, it's 2012 was the last time they won La Liga, that, that they're really desperate to win mm. win the Spanish title in Madrid. Like they've won the Champions League, two Champions Leagues, which is great for obviously it's, it's probably the biggest thing they can do in, in Madrid. But still, the, the chance, the fact that Barça won in these six of the last eight titles, it, it, it rubs up badly against the people in Madrid around the club and inside the club as well. Yeah, if Zidane was, you know, with Rafa Benitez say and I mean they we're playing this type of football and winning. Maybe there would be grumbles, There would be people going, out, you know, like, yeah, you yeah. need to win like this. Why don't we, you know, try to have a bit more flair or spe- spectacle or whatever?" But it's Sudan, and you know, he has the the stature and he has the personality to, to deal with. He's been great with the media. Like, he's we were kind of surprised because when he came in first, we were thinking, "Oh, Sudan, he doesn't really say very much. He's a he's a kind of uh, irritable character. He's somebody you he wouldn't want to." to be upset and thinking, you know, maybe things will kick off in the press room. But he's been brilliant, he's really relaxed, he's really calm, smiles with everybody, plays the radio, like diffuses any kind of little controversies that they might have, smiles his way through it, you know, takes everybody's questions and is really respectful and all in it. And that that helps to, to keep everybody in the media on side for sure, especially the the Spanish reporters here and the fans. They would prefer the team to play well, sometimes there's been grumbles and whistles and that as the Bernabeu can be funny, you know, 20 minutes into a game and yeah. they're not playing great and so people start to, to get antsy, but the top of the league, so for the
1: moment there's no there's no sign of anybody getting really seriously upset with them at all. It's interesting you say about them being relaxed there because uh, you tweeted a video during the game of the, the players from both sides before the game in the tunnel. And they're all and greeting each other like long lost friends and embracing and, and, and all of that. It's certainly a change from Mourinho's day. Is that is that Sedan's influence? I mean, is the edge gone out of the classical? It has gone a little bit like
6: as you're saying, like in Mourinho's time it was too much and I think even the, the players themselves realised that it, it wasn't really on like yeah. the just in the stadium yesterday or on, on Saturday, past the guy who the guy with the mustache who became famous because he was in the he was in the photo just as i like your yeah. Tito the eye. It was a, remember. There was a guy who was on the t-shirts and stuff. Yeah. He was always around the the dressing rooms, and so you can still remember it that, that it happened. But the players now, like they all know each other so well. Like in the photo, there was Ramos giving a hug to Busquets, and, and like they've won, it was it World Cup and two Euros together, or a, a Euros? Anyway, Skerbusch wasn't in the first one. Iniesta knows the guys so well. Even Messi and Ronaldo it's pretty cordial between them. You know, they give each other a little handshake and. They're not going to go for dinner together after the game, but they respect yeah. each other, and yeah. whether that takes a bit of an edge out of it as well. There's less tackles going in, there's less people being sent off. Probably does. You know, Mourinho wouldn't be up for the right team. You know, wouldn't be up for it either. Probably even have enjoyed that
4: that type of a, a yeah. friendly atmosphere. But the players themselves, I think they like it.
6: They, they get on better, and Zidane is definitely they're happy. He's happy.
3: Uh, Dermot, we were talking there about Luis Suarez probably not getting the the credit that he deserves on, on a world scale, but another player who I don't think gets credit that he deserves a lot of the time because of his kind of reputation and 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 he's links with Madrid is Sergio Ramos who came up with the, the equaliser. Mm-hmm. I know nice. Brian Glanville of World Soccer was quite an old school journalist. Really, okay. really rates him highly. Um, um, how how good is he and and if Barcelona had had him at centre back for the last few years, would they have won more Champions Leagues than they than they did?
6: Yeah, that's a decent point. Like Ramos and Pique together is probably a, about as good when they're both based on both on form. It's about as good a centre back partnership as you can get. because mm-hmm. they, they kind of complement each other. Whereas Ramos is the guy who's he has that personality. He wants to go win the ball and get out in front of the the attackers and take them on physically and and show himself. He you does know, like to, to to just sit there and defend, kind of comfortably and n- not make an impact on the game, he has to go and do something. That means that at times he can he can make some silly mistakes or he, he rushes too far up the pitch and gets caught out and it, it, you know, he's given away a lot of penalties. He's been sent off more times than any current Madrid player. He's the record for the, the sentence off in the Clasico. You kind of have to take the, the rough with the smooth with him. like He's not a guy who's just going to, to settle through a game and like a real Ferdinand or somebody and, and play Camby for the yeah. ninety minutes. But Madrid fans love him, like because of the goal he scored in the, the Champions League final in 2014 in Lisbon, that equaliser. You know that that put him down as, as one of the the all time you know greats at Madrid. Then he scored again in the, the Champions League final last May. He is a great player. He's one of the best defenders around. I think if you take you can make a you can put together a YouTube clips of his mistakes and he can look pretty bad.
1: Yeah. But I think most teams like Barca or even teams in England or, or anywhere, you know, be very few teams that he would get into. I think. He's still a headbanger to Dolphy, but... yeah
2: uh, D- Derma, you, you mentioned his goals there. He has 75 goals for club and country, Ramas, which is incredible for a central defender.
6: Yeah, like he could play in midfield. I think if he had have been in a different era or in a different country or something, then he could easily have, have, have come through as a, an all-action midfielder, a guy who played box-to-box. Like technically, he's very good. He's good over you know, fifty yard passes he, he's very good with that. Maybe in, in tight areas he's not so you know, he's not in yet, or he's not Busquets or whatever one that around the centre circle. But he physically he has the, the attributes and, you know, technically he's really, really good at it as defenders go. He himself, I think, sees himself as a bit of a that that's nearly a bit of a problem with him is that he fancies himself as a ball player and something you can do to check him into trouble sometimes. But yeah, that that goal scoring record that the you mentioned there is, is pretty phenomenal for a defender and it's. Because, I think it's because he likes the the headlines. He likes the limelight as well. He sees himself as a as that type of a guy. His his girlfriend is a, a TV star over here and you know fairly well known TV star and TV presenter. And he likes that type of uh,
1: that type of lifestyle and that's the way he plays football as well. Terence, we just just to finish up there, you mentioned it in your in your report today for the Examiner. Um, there was a fair bit of homophobic abuse of Ronaldo again from the Barca fans. Um, is that is that a kind of a a rising theme. I think it happened a couple of weeks ago as well with, one of the, with a player in the game, wasn't it? With Ronaldo, is that is that something that's been mentioned a lot in the media over there? The other thing after the
6: the Atletico game, i right that on the pitch. that yeah. Ronaldo had had exchange words one of the Atletico players. It's not a thing that that comes up. Like it's obviously not something that should happen at all, and it's, everybody should um, should stand by that type of thing. And there's no there's no place for it either in in football or or in society at all. Unfortunately it's not something that really the, the media here tend to um, spend too much time mm. focusing on. Around the Athletic games, there was a bit of a uh proposal or whatever in the media about it, but some of the ex pros came out on the radio and said, Well, you know, these things get said in the heat of the moment and you didn't really mean it and it's it only kind of locker room banter or, or whatever. Yeah. You know, it goes away. There's been there's been plenty of racist incidents as well in, in Spanish football going back over the years and often they're not dealt with as seriously as they should be. Yeah. They say that it's kind of getting a bit better or that that, that type of, of chanting is less um, accepted as it
4: was. But I think, generally speaking, Spain is maybe a little bit behind Ireland or or the UK or places um, in terms of, of what's
6: acceptable and what's not.
1: Okay. Dermot, listen, that's brilliant. Thanks a million for that. Cheers, Talk thanks, Dermot. Cheers. Thanks, Talk okay. again. That's all we have for you today. My thanks to Rob McNamara and Peter McNamara. We'll be back next Monday. And thanks also to Rob's fellow Limerick men, Niall Quinn of the Hitchers, who allowed us to use a few notes from Strachan for our intro. Uh, we'll play out with a few, uh, a few more notes from that. Talk to you next Monday.
4: She waited for the match to start, to start a fight up with me. She said, what's that you're watching? It's a programme about art. She said a program about art. I said a program about art. And then the greatest midfield artist of them all walked out onto the park. The crowd were on their feet and they whistled and they cheered. But for the tiny wee Scotsman with the copper colored hair, she said, You just don't.